Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Temple Baptist Church. Take your songbooks, turn to page 240. Page 240, The Lily of the Valley. All right, page 240. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my stay, he tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, he's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Amen. The first seven words of that song says, I have found a friend in Jesus. I don't know about you, when I'm reminded of that, I'm ready to be in church. So I hope you're glad to be in church here this morning. We'd like to welcome you, all of our live stream listeners as well. Welcome to the service. This is the last Sunday of our missions conference, and we've got a great time thus far, and we're really looking forward to a great day in the Lord here today. So let's continue on this. Uh, everybody knows this hymn by heart, and so don't bury your head in your songbook. Uh, look around and smile at one another, at least just a little bit, and uh, let's especially sing from the heart. Unto the Lord, I found a friend in Jesus, the lily of the valley. Second verse. He all my grace has taken, and all my sorrows borne. In temptation he's my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him forsaken, and all my idols broke. From my heart and now he keeps me by his power. Though all the world forsake me, and Satan tempt me so through Jesus I shall Flip back to page 130. Page 130. Yesterday, today, forever. Page 130. Oh, how sweet the glorious message simple faith may claim. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. Still he loves to save the sinful, heal the sick and lame. Cheer the mourners, still the tempest, glory to his name. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never glory to Glory to his name. He 
pardon erring Peter never needs thou fear he that came to faithless Thomas home I doubt will clear he who let the loved disciple on his bosom rest bids thee still with love as tender lean upon his breast yesterday today forever Jesus is the same all may change but Jesus never glory to his name glory to his name glory to his name all may change but Jesus never upon the sea still can hush our wildest tempest as on Galilee he who wept and prayed in anguish in Gethsemane drinks with us each cup of trembling in our agony yesterday today forever Jesus is the same Jesus never glory to his name glory to his name glory to his name all may change but Jesus never glory to his name as of old he walked to Maeus with them to abide so through all life's way And Jesus as he went away Yesterday, today, forever Jesus is the same All may change but Jesus never Glory to his name Glory to his name Glory to his name All may change but Jesus never you may be seated. All right, just to uh, keep things going and save uh, plenty of time for Brother Williams and the message today, I'm going to dive right into the announcements. So first of all, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip the announcements regarding today, cover the rest of the week, and then uh, focus on the things that we need to know regarding today and the missions conference. All right, Monday at uh, tomorrow at 10 a.m. is widow's meeting in the chapel. If you have questions about that ministry, see Brother James Childress. Brother James, thank you for that. Uh, Wednesday at 7, we're back to our regular Bible study as well as master clubs and youth group. And then Saturday, 8 in the morning, is men's prayer meeting right here in the auditorium. And then noon is our street ministry. Now, today is the last day of the 2022 Missions Conference, and we've had a great time. Our hearts have been challenged about our own personal outreach, as well as our giving and our faithfulness. And so we had the ushers, as you came in the door today, hand out these Faith Promise pledge cards. And uh, if you take a look at these, you can see that the way that we account this is we're asking for you to make 
a faith promise pledge per week, and uh, that makes it easy for us to do all the accounting. Now, obviously, if you want to say so much per year, so much per month, we can certainly divide that into weeks in order to uh, uh, have everything apples to apples and oranges to oranges, but uh, it would be helpful if you would go ahead and just make a weekly commitment, and we'll be collecting these tonight at the toward the end of the service, but if you're not going to be here tonight, or if you already know for sure uh, the amount that God wants you to give, then feel free to go ahead and uh, mark that. You don't need to write your name on it. Uh, you can fold it up, put it in the box right over by the water fountain where the offerings are collected. And so um, uh, we would like to encourage the entire church to participate in this, uh, whether you're here all of the services throughout the week, whether you are older or middle-aged, whether you're employed or unemployed, whether you're, uh, I encourage all of your parents to have your children participate in Faith Promise Missions. Even if they pledge a nickel a week, uh, anything, and then encourage them to give that faithfully, and uh, that will help train them to be biblical Christians. And we've got a lot of younger generation Christians, parents, young parents, that have not been properly trained in what the Bible teaches. And so when it comes to tithes and offerings and missions giving, uh, please, parents, do the best that you can to encourage your children to give faithfully. And uh, it doesn't, it's not about the amount it's about the faithfulness, and so if everybody does what uh, the Lord lays on our heart to do, then it'll be right, uh, I guarantee you that. And so uh, please make sure that you fill that out if you're not going to be here tonight. And then also, uh, tonight we're going to be collecting a love offering for all of the missionaries and their families that have been here this week. And uh, once again, if you're not going to be here tonight, please uh, give your love offering. You can uh, mark that on a tithe envelope right in the pew in front of you, and you can drop that in the box, or you can give online. And if you give online, you go onto our Realm app. All you have to do is enter the dollar amount that you're going to give, and then underneath that is um, a little drop-down box, and it gives you all of the options where you can give that money into regular fund, that's tithes and offerings, missions, uh, building, or love offering. So if you want to give to this love offering, then please mark love offering, not missions. If you mark that for missions, then that just goes into the general missions uh, faith promise giving. And so please mark that love offering. If you already gave online for the love offering and you marked it missions, just uh, let let us know, let Sister Christina Lemons know, and we'll make sure that we uh, move that in accounting so that that goes to our missionaries and their families as well. Uh, of course, Brother Chris Thompson, he left early, and so we went ahead and gave him a love offering. I told him, I said, Brother, if more money comes in, we'll send you your portion. I said, if the love offering's lousy, we'll send you a bill. <laughs> of course, just just joking on that, but uh, anyhow, he laughed and kind of, uh, really? <laughs> no. But uh, my, my dry sense of humor, sometimes people don't know when I'm joking and when I'm being serious. So if, if you're not sure that I'm joking, just figure that I probably am. But anyhow, that's what we need to know regarding the faith promise uh, giving as well as the love offering for this evening. And so uh, I, I'm really excited. I've got some um, information to report 
from this last year's missions giving. I'll talk to you more about that tonight, but really, really encouraging what God has done in spite of COVID, in spite of uh, just where everyone's been in their Christian life, where we've been as a church. And um, brothers and sisters, I'm really, really encouraged with what God is doing and, and I'm just feeling more and more like we're starting to get back to normal and uh, normal feel of what church is all about. And so um, uh, I'm really, really excited about that, and I hope you are as well. All right, at this time, let's go ahead and stand and let's sing another hymn, uh, What a Savior. And uh, this is on the, the back of your bulletin. And I want you to think about this. Think about how that the Lord saved you and where he saved you, what he saved you out of, or perhaps maybe if you got saved young, what he saved you from, what your life could have been if it were not for Jesus Christ. You think about that while you sing it, and I guarantee you it will uh, it'll stir our hearts. What a Savior.
right, you may be seated.
Praise the Lord. I tell you what, this uh, Idaho taterhead almost got a little southern on that one. I felt a little, almost got a little shouty there, but uh, praise the Lord. What a, what a blessing to hear a song about how the blood of Jesus Christ has changed our life. Thank you, ladies, for that. All right, uh, before Brother Williams comes and preaches uh, this morning, I'd like to remind all of you parents and young people that the kids' choir will be singing tonight, and there is a short practice after the service this morning. And uh, Sister Lynn, where is that practice? Right up here toward the front, a little dress rehearsal, so to speak. And so uh, if you'll uh, meet with Sister Lynn uh, right up front, that would be a huge blessing. And then also... Uh, throughout the week, here a few days ago, we challenged uh, as many as would be willing to give out ten adults ten tracks. The young people have been challenged to give out five tracks uh, for their missionary passport. And so uh, we have until this evening to um, keep that commitment, if you accepted that commitment. And uh, perhaps maybe if God's been speaking to your heart, Brother Williams uh, preached about track passing out last night at the... Um, at the fellowship, and uh, Brother Williams, that encouraged my heart. I just cannot begin to tell you how much that encouraged me and uh, and challenged me and convicted me, and uh, perhaps maybe you did not make that commitment, but after last night's message, you, uh, you want to jump on board with that. Let me tell you, 10 tracks passing them out is a piece of cake. You can do that in a matter of minutes, and uh, you know, you can always go over to the Walmart area. You say, well, wait a minute, that's private property. I know, I understand that. And uh, so just uh, just use the motto, uh, preach and run away, live to preach another day. <laughs> Works for me. So, you know, 10 tracks, just do it real quick and then scram, right? Don't camp out. Uh, you can have 10 tracks passed out before the manager ever comes out and asks you to leave. And you say, well, isn't that, hey, don't worry about it. Just do it, Amen. Uh, hand them, put them on somebody's uh, windshield wiper. Put them, uh, don't put them in any, we can't letterbox here. We can't put them in the mailbox. But you know what? You can slide it between the flag and the mailbox. That's perfectly legal. And uh, we've done that before. And, um, you know, I, I took the commitment to get 10 tracks out before tonight. And so after the fellowship, uh, me and my wife and uh, Anna, we went downtown Statesville, saw the Burden family down there. They were all smiling. And did y'all get out all your tracks? All right. Praise the Lord. You know, there was a ton. I couldn't believe it was still daylight, but it was evening. There were tons of people downtown. Uh, it took, um, we passed out tracks for about 20 minutes. And uh, I, my commitment was 10. I think I got 20 out. Uh, just in a few minutes, and it just seemed like nothing. We had a great time doing it, and uh, I know I didn't have a single person reject a track or have any kind of negative response. They all smiled, took the track. Now, my wife had a few people that, but that ought to tell you something. I had to take advantage of that because that doesn't happen very often. But uh, we, we probably, between the three of us, got uh, easily 50 or 60 tracks out in 20 minutes and had a great time of fellowship doing it, just walked around a little bit. And uh, that encouraged my heart. COVID has, uh, if you'll recall, just a couple years ago, if you tried to hand out a track, people would just like, you know, like you had the bubonic plague or something, and they wouldn't even take a track. And uh, thankfully, I think that that spirit 
is past us, and uh, I, I was just greatly encouraged. And so I think that uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it tonight, but I think that it's something that we need to jump on board with what the Holy Spirit's telling us here as a church. And so uh, I think there's some good things as far as track distribution uh, right around the corner for Temple Baptist Church. So, Brother Williams, thank you for that encouraging message last night. You come and give us what the Lord has laid on your heart for this morning. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah, passing out tracks is fun. Uh, I went to a church in <clears throat> Portland, Oregon a few years ago for a missions conference, and we got there on a Saturday afternoon, and it was going to start Sunday morning, and the preacher said, uh, we have a track passing out uh, a time tonight at 9 o'clock. And I'm thinking, 9 o'clock on Saturday night? This should be interesting. So at 9 o'clock, uh, the preacher picked me up, and we all went to the big movie complex there in town, uh, the big cinema. He said, we're going to put tracks on windshields. He said, but we actually can't do it, but we're going to do it anyway. And they had walkie-talkies, and they had guys all dressed in black, and we were all going down these things. The security's coming out. They're on the radio saying, the security's coming, go this way. It was wild. But anyway, uh, you can have a lot of fun with some of these things. But anyway, it's been a blessing being at your conference this week. Uh, we certainly appreciate the chance to come by and appreciate your generosity, the meals, the room, the basket. Everything's just been an incredible encouragement. When Debbie and I came back on October 17th, we expected to be here for six weeks. We came back to see a brand new grandbaby that was born the first part of October. And uh, getting out of New Zealand and back into New Zealand was very difficult, but the Lord had lined up everything just the way it needed to be. We had the right permission to go back. We had the right paperwork, the right COVID regulation information. Everything we had was just the way it needed to be. And we got back, and three weeks after we got back, they changed everything, and we couldn't go back. And so we've been here six months waiting for the New Zealand government to open the borders so that we can get back. And over that time, we've seen the Lord do all kinds of amazing things and show us the reason why he wants us here. And so from that standpoint, I don't have a new video for you. So I'm just going to give you a bit of a verbal update as to where we are. Um, the first church we started in New Zealand was in a city called Dunedin back almost 30 years ago. And that church is still going today with an American pastor. They're running 50 or 60 people. They have a Bible institute. Brother Rudd is doing a great job. He's training several young men, and hopefully one of them will take the church over someday. In 1995, we went to a city called Blenheim and started the Marlboro Bible Baptist Church. And in 2000, I saw one of the teens, a 17-year-old young man named Ben, uh, trust Christ as Savior. And today, he's the pastor of that church. Uh, he went through our Bible institute, which we started up there in Blenheim. And he's just doing an amazing job, and it's just such a blessing to see a Kiwi step up and take responsibility and, and to do what needs to be done. Uh, through that Bible Institute, we saw several young men and women either called to preach or to serve in some way. We ended up with a young lady going to Vanuatu for five years until medical issues arose. But we still have two of our young people on the mission field. Uh, Fern's been in Peru now for 12 years, doing a great job working in an orphanage teaching ladies in a Bible college, serving in a church in the Cusco area of Peru. And we have another young man, I won't give his name, but he's in Mongolia, uh, which is a very difficult place to be. And he's uh, been through some real challenges the past few months, almost died uh, basically from his, his vaccination uh, regime he had to go through to remain there in Mongolia. And just uh, no name, but just appreciate your prayers for him and just ask the Lord to continue to bless his ministry. In 2012, we turned that church over to Ben, and we took another one of our young men and went to a city called Timaru, and we started a new work there. 
And the Timaru Bible Baptist Church is still going strong. When we were here last time, we told you that we had just turned that church over to this fellow. And the church has grown. He's had a number of families come into the church. It's just been an encouraging thing to see. And last time we were here, we told you we were going to go to a city called Queenstown, which is the tourist capital of New Zealand. Just a beautiful place. Big mountains, big lake, uh, all kinds of outdoor type things to do. And uh, we went there in March of 2018, I think it was, or 19. I can't remember now off the top of my head. But I went there and we started from scratch and began to see a few people come along. Uh, being a tourist town at any given moment, there are roughly twenty to 100,000 tourists in town, depending on the time of year. And so we go downtown and we pass out tracks. You can go down two days later and completely different crowd. They don't know who you are. They don't know what you're doing. They still take your tracks. So it's a pretty awesome way to minister. I try to reach the locals. Some people started to come together. And then COVID hit. And for the past two years, New Zealand has tried to keep COVID out of the country. And they were successful up until basically last November. And now we're going through the surge that you folks had back here a year or so ago. Yesterday, which was Sunday in New Zealand, our church in Queenstown had to cancel services for the first time because about two-thirds of the church has it. And uh, so appreciate your prayers for, for the work there. We also have had the privilege of helping to see another work get started, a little place uh, called Oxford, about seven hours away. A family from another ministry of ours went to there and started a Bible study. And uh, last night after the banquet, I disappeared quickly because I came up to the office and I preached to them for about an hour. Uh, last night at uh, 7 o'clock, it was 11 o'clock Sunday morning in New Zealand. And so the folks there in Oxford are doing well, and we just praise the Lord for their desire to serve God and do what's right as well. We have two other towns where we have some contacts that have expressed an interest in trying to get a Bible study started. So I'm starting to run out of the ability to be in multiple places at once. So if anybody wants to come to help, I could use some help. But uh, God's been good in opening some doors, and we just praise him for that. While we're back, we've been working diligently on organizing a shipment of tracts and Bibles and hymn books and homeschool materials uh, to help the churches in New Zealand. Uh, God's been very generous in helping to arrange that and finances and things. We're hoping to ship that out in late June. And we just ask for your grace, with for God's grace in this, your prayers. Because of the shipping supply lines and issues like that, it could be a bit of a challenge to get it there. Uh, but that's beginning to come together. And the other thing we've been working on is transitioning our Bible Correspondent School to an online school. Back in 1992, we just started off producing a few Bible studies that eventually led to a, a Bible course covering the entire Bible. And over the years, we've had over 6,000 Kiwis respond uh, to show some interest in that. And at any given time, we've got hundreds of people studying the Word of God in their own homes. And that's constantly producing new contacts, people getting saved. Many of the churches in New Zealand, our independent Baptist churches, have uh, folks from the school that attend. I think I signed eight diplomas last year for people who went through the entire school. That's verse by verse through the entire Bible. But I've had a lot of noise about wanting it online. And as the volume of lessons has risen, the work to correct all those lessons has risen and become quite a challenge. So uh, this weekend, I've been working on lessons in Deuteronomy, of all things. So just ask that you pray the Lord gives us wisdom in putting that together as we go online with that. 
So if you have any questions about New Zealand or about what's happening down there, we'd certainly uh, be willing to answer those. Just feel free to catch me at my table. This morning, I'd like to direct your attention to the Word of God. If you take your Bibles, let's go over to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist at the moment to see that there's a lot of problems around the world. Every day, billions of people are trying to answer questions that they have in their lives. Sometimes those are big picture questions. Why am I here? Where am I going? Where did I come from? How do I deal with my guilt? Sometimes they're big life questions. How do I survive a war? How can I survive in my country? How can I get to another country and survive? How do I get enough food to live? Sometimes they're just the same questions we run into. How are we going to pay the rent? How are we going to pay the bills and keep the power on and and that type of thing? And uh, we all have questions. And, you know, people go all kinds of places trying to find answers to those questions. you got the Internet today. You have friends. You have advice. You have self-help books. Some people turn to meditation, religion. As believers, we have the Word of God. We have Christian friends. We have a local church. We have a pastor that loves us. But one of the things we all kind of figure out fairly early on in the piece is that it can be a challenge to find answers to our questions. And we would just love for it to be simple. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was just, you know, one key that unlocked all the doors? If you could just find just one simple key that that just worked every time, it would be so much more simple. And this morning, I'm here to tell you that there actually is a simple key like that. We want the key to some problem in our life, the key to losing weight, the key to better health, the key to this and that. The Bible talks about a master key, a master key that unlocks every door. You folks have put us in an awesome motel, and we certainly appreciate it. And yesterday I was trying to get into the door with my arms full, and I couldn't get into my pocket, and I'm there banging on the door with my foot for my wife to come answer the door. And the maid came by, and she had this lanyard, and she just pulled it down, and she just put it in front of the thing, and beep, beep, let me in. She actually had a key that opened every door in that motel. My key only worked for one door. Her worked for everyone. And that's what I hope to show you from the Bible this morning. The key to salvation, the key to missions, the key to our problems in life, the key to everything, God's master key. Sound like some televangelist, some, you know, con man, some religious shyster. Hopefully this morning, by the time we're done, you'll have an ah moment where you too will realize that God has given us a master key. Let's pray and we'll get into God's word. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of living in a free country. Lord, where we have the ability to open our Bibles here this morning without fear, Without persecution, we just praise you for that. And Lord, as we look at your master key, I pray that you'd help us to grasp the truth that's set before us this morning. And Lord, that we would take this thing and apply it to our lives and see you work in our lives in a way that changes everything. For we thank you and praise you and ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 23 gives us the story of a fellow who is the king of Moab named Balak and a false prophet named Balaam. And Balak had a problem. He had two million Jews coming through his territory, and he was just as nervous as could be. He wanted to see these people cursed. He wanted to see God work against them. 
He did not want them invading his land and causing him problems. So he hires this false prophet, this pagan soothsayer named Balaam. There's lots of drama here. You have Balaam's donkey talk to him and all this sort of thing. But eventually, Balaam comes to realize that he had just better say what God tells him to say. And in Numbers chapter 23, we jump into the middle of this story in verse 19, where Balaam is going to make some statements about God, four statements about God, and he's going to draw a conclusion. In fact, this conclusion is so profound, he's going to repeat it. He's going to make it double. And in Numbers 23, 19, this is what we read. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? And as you look at these four statements that Balaam makes about God, each one of them reveals something about God. It tells us about some of his characteristics or some of his attributes. You notice the first thing that Balaam says is, God is not a man. Now, this is not referring to, uh, you know, some doctrinal technicality where Jesus, you know, was not God. He's not saying that. He's simply saying that God is not human. He's divine. He's the self-existent being who exists from eternity past. And God has some attributes that man simply can't have. God's love, we can love. God can have mercy, we can have mercy. But God is all-powerful, and man is not all-powerful. That's an attribute that belongs only to him. God's all-knowing. God's everywhere present at once, omnipresent. God is sovereign. He's in charge of all things. And that little statement, God is not man, shows us those things about God. Another thing he says here is that that he should lie. God cannot lie. He has the attribute of absolute truth. You can trust everything God has to say. It goes on to say, neither the son of man that he should repent. God is not the son of man. Now, Jesus is the Son of Man. He's also the Son of God. It's not a denial of the virgin birth here. But as an eternal being who is not human and not descendant from man, it's showing God's eternalness. We all had a beginning. We may live forever, but we had a beginning. It's not true of God. He inhabits eternity. He's existed from eternity past. And the last thing he says is that God will not repent. Again, this is not a doctrinal technicality. It's a general truth. God sometimes will change his mind when man changes his mind. Nineveh repented, so God repented. He didn't destroy them in 40 days. God said that you were on your way to hell, that you were going to suffer eternal torment unless you trusted his son as Savior. You changed your mind. You repented. You trusted in Christ. So God changed his mind. He gave you eternal life. And that decree doesn't apply to you. So it shows God's immutability, the fact that he can't change. And based on these seven attributes, Balaam has this to say about God at the end of the verse. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? This conclusion that Balaam comes to, is so profound and so far-reaching 
that he mentions it twice because it is literally the key to everything. It can be summed up by saying this, God always, always, always keeps his promises. He will never break his promises. And the promises of God are the master key to everything in life. God is not some unknowable, indescribable being up in heaven that's so far away that we can't know who he is or what he's all about. His promises make him real. His promises take his desires and his attributes and put them right in front of us and say, you can trust me. Folks, how many promises are there in the word of God? I had a preacher when I was a kid who used to say there were 30,000. I don't know where he got that, but it sounded good. But there was a Canadian school teacher named Everett Storm who decided to count them. And he went through the word of God and said there are 7,487 promises from God to man. If Brother Everett's right, that's about seven or eight on every page in the average Bible. You see, your God gave you these promises because they are the key to everything. Go with me to Titus. Titus chapter 1. The first and most important thing that they're the key to is salvation. I think most of us here in this room today and many watching online could point to a time in our lives where we understood the fact that we were sinners on the way to hell and that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the truth, that Jesus did die, that he was buried, and that he rose again for our salvation, and that if we would put our faith and trust in him, that he would save us. Fifty years ago this year, I got saved. I trusted Christ at a backyard Bible club. But according to the word of God, these promises of God are the key to our salvation. Look here with me at Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. It is impossible to get saved without embracing one or more of the promises of God. If we went around the room this morning and we heard your salvation testimony, somewhere in there you would point to one of the promises of God that led you to get saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, promise, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Someone told you that and you got a hold of it. You stepped on it. You sat on it. You rested in it. You trusted. You stood on that promise of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, promise, hath everlasting life. Promise, and shall not come into condemnation. Promise, but is passed from death unto life. You go down through all of those Romans Road verses, all of those verses about believing in Christ in the book of John, and they all come back to the same thing. The key are the promises of God. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved this morning? Have you embraced those promises? Are you standing on one of those things? Or are you just hoping 
that your good works get you into heaven? Are you just hoping that your baptism was adequate? Are you hoping that God will, will just be merciful to you one day? It doesn't work that way. God gave us these promises, and he expects us to trust him. Go with me to 1 John chapter 5. Or as we say here in America, 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. As Bible-believing Baptists, we are in an incredibly small minority in Christendom when it comes to the doctrine of eternal security. The idea that once we are saved, we're always saved. We can't lose our salvation. I talk to people all the time who profess to be Christians who say, well, but, well, but, but about this, and they come up with other verses, and they run to other places in the Word of God where there are truths that apply to other groups of people, but not to us as believers in Jesus Christ. You see, though, the promises of God are the key to our security and our salvation. Here in 1 John chapter 5, look with me down at verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. That's what you do when you don't trust a promise of God. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Your Bible is the written record of God's promises. And he expects you to trust those things, to hang on to them. 11, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The promise, he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That is one of the most simple, basic truths in all the Word of God. Every one of us here today either have the Son of God or we don't have the Son of God. You either have eternal life or you don't have eternal life. It doesn't matter what family you were born into, what church you were born into, what your racial or ethnic background is. It doesn't matter about your baptism or your good works or what you give to the poor. Do you have the Son? Or do you not have the Son? The promise is clear. You can't say, well, but. The record is there, and you either believe it or you call God a liar. And the next verse says in verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Yes, it is possible to know that you have eternal life before you die and stand before God. You're either trusting the promise or you're not. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've had doubts about your salvation all your life. Some days you feel saved, some days you don't feel saved. Up and down, roller coaster, you need to get off that thing this morning. And you get off it by stepping onto the promise of God and saying, Lord, I am going to trust what you told me. You're not a liar, I can believe you. Go with me, if you would, over to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. People say, well, what if I stop believing? Well, it's a faithful saying. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. God addressed that problem. Once you're saved, you're locked in. You've got the Son living inside you. 
you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That's the promises of God. It's always the key. Paul said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He was persuaded because he was trusting God's promises. God's promises are the key to the Bible itself. In New Zealand, we have a population that is roughly 55% atheist, agnostic, and skeptic. Non-religious. All the time, I'm out talking to folk, and the minute they find out it's about the things of God, not interested, Mike. Just nothing. They won't talk to you about it. It's a challenge. But you know, the key to whether the Bible's true or not, and many people ask that, how can you believe that book? How do you know the Bible's true? The key is the promises of God. This book that's in your lap this morning is the repository of those promises. God's put them all into one convenient place for you to find them. And when Balaam said that what God said he will do and what he has spoken he'll perform, the part that he spoke about is what was in our Bibles. That's what he was referring to. And God actually gave us the means to test him out. Look here at Isaiah 45, verse 21. 45, 21. The Bible says, Tell ye, and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord and there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. In the passage, this verse and other verses point to the fact that God is the only one who can make prophecies about the future and get it right. You know how many prophecies there are about the future in the, in the Quran? There's not any. Hindu scriptures, Book of Mormon, you go right down the list. They don't predict the future. It would be revealed to be frauds very quickly. And a prophecy is a promise about the future. And God said, uh, you know, let's take, take counsel together. Who's declared the end from the beginning? Who's declared things in time past? Show me. Anybody else out there? He says, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's God because only I can do this. And so God stakes his reputation on that truth. Jesus did the same. Over in John 13, 19, he says, Now I tell you before it come, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. He says, I'm telling you ahead of time what's going to happen. And when it happens, you'll know that I was God and that I was telling you the truth. His promises always come true. How do you know the Bible's true? There are several answers to the question, but the promises of God are the key. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we sit here this morning, I'm sure there's a number of people who are struggling with trials and temptations in your life. Temptations to do wrong, temptation to give up, trials, challenges, difficulties that the Lord allows us to go through. And the key to dealing with those things are the promises of God. 
Look here at 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to find five promises in just one verse. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. That's a promise. Whatever temptation or trial you're going through, you're not unique. Somebody else has gone through that thing before you. You're not the first one who's saying, oh, Lord, no one's ever faced this before. The Lord says it's common. He also makes another promise. He says, God is faithful. He also says, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you're able. You will never be put in a position where you have to give up. You have to give in. You can't endure this trial or this temptation. God always makes a way. He goes on to say, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape. Whatever you're going through today, there's an escape route. You don't have to sin. You don't have to give up. You don't have to be discouraged. There's a way through. And the last promise, that you may be able to bear it. Your Heavenly Father loves you. And He has given you His promises as the key to victory over sin. You know, there's a verse in Psalm 119, verse 11, that tells us, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. You ever wonder how that thing works? You know, you memorize a Bible verse, and it's like a, like a magic charm. You know, I know this Bible verse. And so something comes up in your life, and the devil comes to give you a hard time, and he suddenly goes, whoa, you know a Bible verse. Oh, no. It doesn't work that way. How do you hide God's word in your heart and it helps you not sin? Well, see, when you hide a promise of God in your heart as a memory verse and the temptation comes to fail or to give in or to give up, the Holy Spirit has ammunition to bring to your mind, there's a promise of God about this. And suddenly you have a choice. You can just go in the power of your flesh and do what you want to do or you can trust a promise of God. Like, for instance, there's a verse in the book of James. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So this week, the devil comes and knocks on your door, maybe like the song we were talking about this morning, and he gives you some grief, and you've got a choice. Are you going to give in? Are you going to give up? Or are you going to resist? And the Holy Spirit brings that verse back to mind if you've memorized it. I've got a promise of God. If I'll submit myself to God and resist, God promised he has to flee. And if you put the promise into effect, you'll see God come through and honor that. That's how this thing works. And it's the key to every problem in life. If you're here today and you're fearful about something, oh, COVID, all of COVID was about fear. But you know, the Bible says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee. You have the promises of God to deal with fear, with worry, with financial problems. Are you a stressed out parent? Man, you're correcting your child. It doesn't seem to do any good. You wonder, you know, is this ever going to work? Well, the Bible says train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. you got a promise of God if you're willing to stand on that thing and use it. Look with me, if you would, over at Psalm 16. 
Psalm 16. Whatever your problem is, whatever your trial is, there is a promise of God in the Word of God that addresses it. Maybe you're here today and your challenge is to find God's will in your life. Maybe in this conference, God's been knocking on your door about serving as a missionary. This whole thing about passing out tracts, maybe that's been incredibly convicting and you know you should be doing more for the Lord. Maybe you're trying to figure out who to marry, what to do for a career, where to go to school. You're trying to find God's will for your life. There's a promise about that. Psalm 1611. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Psalm 16, verse 11. The verse tells us this. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. God will show you that path. Now, he's got a few conditions. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Promise. He shall direct thy paths. That's how it works. That's how the key fits in that door and unlocks it. Go to Hebrews 11 with me. Hebrews 11. These promises of God turn out to be the key to faith itself. I don't know if you're sitting here this morning saying, Brother Williams, I've got heaps of faith. I've got all the faith I could ever need. I'm in good shape. I suspect that's not the case. Most of us could probably use a bit more. And when the disciples said to Jesus, increase our faith, Lord, we could probably echo that prayer request this morning. Well, how do you get more faith? You can't go to Walmart and buy a bucket of it. We know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But how does that actually work? Hebrews chapter 11, look with me down at verse 9. Hebrews eleven nine. What do all of these heroes of the faith have in common? You say, duh, they all had faith. Well, there's actually something more. Look at verse 9. Hebrews 11, verse 9. The Bible says, By faith he, Abraham, sojourned in the land of, what? Land of promise. As in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Look at Sarah down in verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Look at all of the patriarchs in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Fifteen times in your King James Bible, the word faith and promise show up in the same verse because that's what faith is. Faith is standing on the promises of God, putting them into effect in our lives. Go back with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. If you want more faith, You need to find a promise of God and camp on that thing and say, Lord, I need you to come through for me. I need you to show yourself strong. You promised me thus and so. Lord, I need your help. And when the Lord comes through, wow, 
The Lord came through. His promise is true. And your faith increases. Here in Romans chapter 4, we have a passage about Abraham. And it has probably the best definition of faith in all of the word of God. Romans 4 verse 20. Talking about Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Strong faith is being fully persuaded that God's going to keep his promises. Go with me to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. Folks, the promises of God are the key to world missions. Last night I shared with you a number of verses that dealt with the fact that if we will put out God's word, God has promised to always bless his word. You never put out a track in vain. I don't care if it's rejected, torn up, burnt, thrown in your face. It always does something. God promised his word would not return void. He promised if we cast our bread upon the waters, we'd find it after many days. He promised that if we would go forth weeping, bearing precious seed, that we would doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with us. Here in Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, promise... I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You go through missions and God has promised to bless his word, promised to empower us with his spirit, promised like in this verse, never to leave us or forsake us. When it comes to giving to missions, he's promised to supply all of our need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19, the promise of financial provision is given to folks who give to missions. That's the context of Philippians 4. These promises of God really are the foundation of my entire ministry in New Zealand. I would not still be there if it didn't come down to these promises I have to stand on. Now, this is all great, but what do we do with this? How do we put it into effect in our lives? I'm going to give you three quick things, and we're going to be done this morning. Look with me over at 2 Peter chapter 1. Hopefully this morning you can see what God's master key is. The key that will unlock every door. If this is really true, then you need to get a hold of some of these promises. You need to find some of them. You need to maybe underline them or highlight them in your Bible. Write them down in your journal or write them down in the back of your Bible. But we need to be looking for these things and finding them. Here in 2 Peter chapter 1, look with me down at verse 4. 2 Peter 1, 4. The Bible tells us, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. These exceeding great and precious promises, they make us more like Christ. They develop faith and strength and reliance upon God in our lives. But we've got to find them. You're going to read your Bible hopefully tomorrow morning, do your Bible reading. What do you hope to accomplish with your Bible reading? Well, I've got to finish my three chapters. I've got to finish my three pages. 
Is that all our Bible reading is? No, we're trying to develop a relationship with God. We want to hear from God. Well, how do we know if we hear from God? What is it we're looking for? We're supposed to be looking for the promises of God. As he speaks to our heart, he's showing us that he wants to work in our lives and will do thus and so for us if we will follow what he gives us in that, in that passage. Tomorrow morning when you read your Bible, look for the promises of God. Get a different color highlighter out or something and start taking note of them and start building up a vocabulary of these things, a treasury of these things that you can stand on. But there's a second thing we need to do. Go with me to 2 Chronicles. Old Testament 2 Chronicles. Simply having a list of the promises of God is not enough. We need to apply them. We need to claim them. We need to put them into effect. And the precedent we find for this in several places in Scripture, but the one I'm going to give you is 2 Chronicles 6. And this is Solomon's dedication of the temple. Uh, He's constructed the temple. He's built the scaffold. He's up there on top of the scaffold. His arms are raised. He's praying in front of the nation of Israel. And we pick it up in the middle of his prayer in verse 14. 2 Chronicles 6, 14. And said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven nor in the earth, which keepest covenant and showest mercy unto thy servants, that walk before thee with all their hearts. Thou which has kept with thy servant David my father that which thou hast promised him, and spakest with thy mouth, and hast fulfilled it with thine hand as it is this day. Solomon says, Lord, you kept your promise. You told my father with your own mouth that he would have a son named Solomon who would build a temple, a sanctuary to him. And Lord, we're here today and it's done. You kept your word. And Lord, if you could keep that promise, you could keep some other promises. Look at the next verse, verse 16. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David my father that which thou hast promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit upon the throne of Israel. Yet so that thy children take heed to their way, to walk in my laws thou hast walked before me. He says, Lord, I need you to keep another promise. You told my father, as long as his children obeyed you, that there would always be a king to sit on the throne of Israel. Lord, can you keep that promise? And of course, we see that God did keep that promise for many years until his children of Israel rebelled against him in such a way he had to bring judgment. And in verse 17, he says to the Lord, Now then, O Lord God of Israel, let thy word be verified, which thou hast spoken unto thy servant David. And that's what we need to do in prayer, folks. We find the promises, and then we claim the promises. Lord, would you verify your word? Would you show me? Would you make this promise come alive? Would you keep your word? And the precedent in Scripture is clearly to lay that out in prayer. And that brings us to our third and our last thing we need to do, the promises of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 with me, please. We find a promise of God, we claim it, and then we need to get on with life. We need to live in the light of the promises of God. 
It's not enough to find the promise. It's not enough to find it and claim it and then go out and worry about whether it's going to happen or not. We need to get up off our knees and say, okay, God, I've left that with you. I'm going to trust you. And then go on and do what we need to do. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. If you'd look at that with me, please. Hebrews 10, verse 23, the Bible says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. How can we possibly do that? For he is faithful that promised. Folks, between now and the rapture, there is going to be a lot of garbage going on. Who knows what's going to happen? You listen to the news, which you probably shouldn't do. They're talking nuclear war. They're talking cyber attacks. They're talking food shortages. They're talking all kinds of things. Maybe we'll be delivered from all that and maybe not. But what I do know is that the promises of God are still true, regardless what happens. And we need to find those promises, claim those promises, and then live through all this garbage, trusting in the promises of God when everybody else around us is falling apart. Last verse and we'll be done. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Can you point to one instance in your life this past week where a promise of God affected you in some way? Where you took a promise of God and used it the way God intended to unlock a door? Or have you just been kind of wandering through life hoping things work out? Folks, we need to live as though Christ lives in us and is working through us. And that starts with standing on his promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is a promise about the promises of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look with me at verse 20. For all, you got the guarantee, for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen. Every promise of God works. I'll throw out a disclaimer. You better make sure it's a promise that applies to you. There are some promises in the Bible that apply to different groups of people at different times. But if you got the green light that it's a church-age promise that applies to us as believers, that thing is yay. That thing is so be it. Amen. You can guarantee it. And notice the purpose of these promises. All the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God. Talked about that on Wednesday night. And really, trusting God is the greatest way you can bring glory to him. But what are the last two words of that verse? Talk to me. By us. If you don't apply them, they mean nothing. And so my challenge to you today is, are you using God's master key. Are you saved? Are you standing on his promises of salvation? As a Christian, are you finding them, claiming them, and living in the light of them? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this master key you've given us. And Lord, I pray today that you just turn some lights on in our hearts, Lord, and that we would see the value and the power of this tool you've given us. Lord, you love us. You want what's best for us. And Lord, so often we struggle unnecessarily. And I pray today, Lord, that you would challenge some of your people to get their Bible out and to find some of these promises and, Lord, to start using and living in the light of them. And, Lord, that you would change our lives accordingly. 
And Lord, that you would use us to spread your word and to be found faithful serving you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Remain seated, heads bowed, eyes closed, pianist playing softly. Have you allowed your heart to drift away from God's promises? Have you allowed the devil and circumstances to discourage you? Get your eyes off of him. You started walking by sight, by feeling, rather than faith. God has never, ever lied. He's never broken a promise. He has never, ever failed. If God spoke to your heart about a specific area of your life, why don't you come down to an old-fashioned altar? Just step... Slip out of your seat. Come down up front. Tell the Lord that you're sorry for not trusting Him. I think that He's been so faithful. He deserves that from us. God, I'm sorry that I haven't been trusting You like I should. And I want to start applying those three principles. I'm going to find your promises. I'm going to be aware of them. And I'm going to start living them. I don't think you could summarize the Christian life, missions, giving, living, family, I don't think you could summarize everything about life and God more simply and clearly than that message that we heard here this morning. many times in my life and ministry where I've gotten discouraged, where I've had doubts, insecurities, lost my assurance. Every single failure I've ever had was a faith failure. And a faith failure is just simply not living in light of trusting the promises of God. I've had times where I doubted my salvation and I was as saved as I could possibly be, saved to the uttermost, and yet I still doubted it. You know what my problem was? I got my eyes on myself, my performance rather than the promises of God. None of us will ever feel like that we live up to God's standard. We can't claim his promise.
Let's all stand to our feet. Brother Glenn, if you would, find that song that Sister Anne is playing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Let's all stand and sing this song. I believe the Lord is worthy of this hymn as we glorify Him for His faithfulness in our lives. Hymn number 441, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Brother Williams, thank you for that tremendous message. God certainly spoke to my heart. I trust he spoke to all of our hearts here this morning. Uh, let's be prayerful here this afternoon. Uh, napful too, but also prayerful. And uh, come back this evening and uh, let's have a great finish for the missions conference. You'll be praying about what God would have you to do. Uh, God is faithful and uh, he just asks us to trust him and be faithful as well. Brother Terry TV Paw, if you would close us in prayer. When Brother Terry's finished praying, then you are at liberty. God bless you.